Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless. We provide at Zenium a complete solution for both, so you can focus on what you do best, growing your business. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Okay, today's episode is with Perrine Fark, and she is the author of Inclusion, the ultimate secret for an organization's success. So if you want to create a culture of belonging and you find yourself as a leader stuck and you're falling short when it comes to making your employees feel heard and you want to create an environment of inclusion, this episode is a great one. You're going to hear a lot of great tips from Perrine about how to build a culture of belonging. Enjoy the episode. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, any of those places. I'd love to connect with you. Have a great week ahead. Perrine, it is such a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. How are you, Brandon? I'm fantastic. I'm excited to talk about your new book, Inclusion, The Ultimate Secret for an Organization's Success. So let's talk right away. Like, What's the difference, if there's any, between inclusion and belonging? Maybe they're the same. Yeah. It's a good question because I think a lot of the times when I speak to HR professionals or business leaders, people get a little bit confused around what does that mean? Diversity, equity, inclusion, it sounds a little bit scary. So yeah, I think I really love started talking about definitions and really inclusion in the, in the context of the workplace and work setting. Inclusion is about feeling heard and feeling seen and feeling valued as an employee who comes to work every day, feeling like your ideas are important, are important, your contributions, your opinion matters to the team in general. And belonging is the ultimate inclusion is when you feel like almost the team is part of your family. You feel like you belong to the group. It's part of your identity. So it's almost like inclusion is, is sort of is the fundamental that you need to get started. Yeah, foundation. Yes, foundation. Belonging is like the ultimate, the golden goal to feel like you belong, like they're your family. So based on what you just said, it, it seems like it's possible to feel included, but not actually belong. You walk into a, a workplace culture, there's inclusion practices, it's embedded in the culture. You could feel that, but not really have a connection and, and feel like you're like part of that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's possible. And uh, I really love to share stories to illustrate. So it's, it's, it's easier to understand. One of my most best leader I've ever had in my career. His name is Steve. He was the VP of EMEA when I worked for that software company. He was really the most inclusive leader I've ever had in my career. And with him, uh, you know, he created such strong connections with everybody in his team that I felt like I belonged to the team. I really felt a strong, strong sense of belonging. It was just, it was beyond just, you know, feeling, feeling seen and heard. I felt like we were 
more than just colleagues. And um, he just, um, I always tell the story, he would come in the office in the morning, it was an open space, he would come into the office and he would have a nice word to everyone. He didn't have to because not everybody reported into him, but he would make that extra effort to say good morning and, and call everybody by their name. And he would have a nice personal story or questions like, you know, how was your wife's anniversary? How is your kid's, uh, you know, football team? Or how, how is your marathon training going? He would remember all the little things about everyone. He and it just it just created that sense of belonging. And I to this day I'm still uh, in touch with him and friends with him. And you know we're messaging on on WhatsApp. But it's an example of that an inclusive leader who really created that atmosphere, that strong belonging. And really anybody in that team would go above and beyond to follow him because he was really special at creating that sense of belonging in the team. Yeah. I'm curious, how did you get into this work? Was it you you had people like Steve to look up to and and you just wanted to make a difference? Or like was there something that drove you into writing a book on inclusion and even consulting on it? Yeah, I would say it happened both organically and also it's my personal professional experience and also meeting people like Steve. So I had essentially in my career, I worked for about 13 years in the technology industry, in the software industry. And often I was only the only woman in the room, especially at the leadership level. I was the only woman. And then when I became a mother and I had two young children, it became very obvious that, you know, in meetings, I was the only who had to worry to go, you know, go home by 5 p.m. to pick up the kids from school and nursery because all the other ones in the room had a wife who either didn't work at all, she just didn't work and looked after the kids full time, or maybe worked part time. Whereas I had to go home and pick up the kids and my husband, my, my husband also worked full time and we didn't have anyone for childcare. But, and it's just, and then it just, you know, all these stories of lack of equality or lack of opportunities to be promoted and adva- advancement based on stereotypes. Maybe, oh, she's a mom. She doesn't want to travel that much. We'll give the promotion to one of he, her colleague, you know, male colleague, for example. So it's just, you know, all these little things that really added up. I saw my male coworkers get promoted and I was not promoted at the same rate. And, you know, all these things. On the other hand, I met people like Steve, this incredible leader who was extra inclusive and uh, he would recommend me for stretch assignment and glamour work. So I just realized there is a better way to work. There is a better way to create more inclusive workplaces where everybody feels like they are set up for success. So it really happened gradually and organically. And uh, I started writing a lot about, you know, how to create an inclusive workplace. And the more I wrote, the more I researched. And the more that I researched, the more I wrote. And then I ended up writing so much content. And I just thought, wait a minute, I could actually write a book. (laughs) And so that's how I I wrote that book. So yeah, it's just grew, I guess, organically. And also it's my personal and professional experience. That's amazing. So let's dive into some of the ideas in the book. What is it? take to have an inclusive workplace that foundation that we're talking about yeah there, there are you know it's such a obviously vast topic that we could you know go on so many different directions but i, I think you know it it goes down to i often say it goes back down to the basics you know get, getting the basics right the foundations right um so for example if you're if you're a leader if you're a business leader or head of hr 
starting to think of yourself as a diversity and inclusion advocate and champion. So you don't have to wait for everybody to be perfectly ready and in place. You can start with yourself, educating yourself on the topic, learning every day, challenging yourself to be an upstander, an advocate and educating yourself. And the other thing is from an organization perspective, you know, get start with the basics again. So start with why. Why is diversity and inclusion important to your organization? Is it because it's going to help you drive more innovation, more creative thinking, more uh, engagement for your employees, more retention? So really try to tie in diversity and inclusion to your business. And then, you know, try to set up goals. You know, what are goals that would look like success for you? Do you want to have more diver uh, gender diversity in your, in your workplace? Maybe you want more ethnic diversity at the leadership level in your organization. Maybe you want more age diversity. Maybe you want more engagement. Maybe your employees don't feel that engaged. So you want a better engagement through inclusion. So what does inclusion and diversity look for you and measure? Because What doesn't get measured doesn't get done, right? So setting goals and appoint a team to really measure those goals and track. So you can set up a diversity and inclusion committee or task force sponsored by an executive. And there are, there are lots of other things you could be doing, such as revisiting your hiring processes, make sure there is no bias in your hiring and re revisiting your retention strategy. How are you going to retain diverse employees and signing up to pledges. There are so many pledges and charters out there, like CEO in action is one of them, for example. But without getting into too many details, those are sort of, you know, I would always say, go back to the basics, you know, don't try to boil the ocean, you know, start where you are right now with what you have today uh, and, you know, baby steps. So change starts with you. So take accountability personally for uh, the success of diversity and inclusion in your workplace. And also, you know, start with the basic, like I said, why is it important? Revisit your mission statement and start with goals. That's where I would start. I love that you mentioned the goal piece because I think where a lot of inclusive practices or, you know, organizations really trying to create an inclusive workplace where it falls flat, those initiatives is they probably don't have goals And it's hard to hold anybody accountable when you don't have goals and you don't measure it. Would you say that's probably the case in a lot of inclusion practices where they just didn't really have a, a compass or a place where they can measure their success? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we are becoming a more and more data-driven world and society. We, and we have to have data that drives our behavior. Otherwise, like you said, things won't get, get done. When it comes to diversity and inclusion, there is that perception that it's more of a almost fluffy thing, a bit like, you know, marketing. It's a little bit fluffy. It's a bit vague. We don't, people don't really understand what that means. So when you actually set goals and goals, for example, if we think about metrics, it could be work for, workforce diversity at the organization level. It could be either gender, age, ethnic background, nationality, sexual orientation, able, disabled, etc., etc. That's one thing. Then you can look at The leadership, you know, diversity, diversity in leadership, again, could be gender, could be ethnic background, could be sexual orientation. Then it could be engagement of the workforce because engagement is strongly linked to inclusion. If people feel included, they feel engaged. If people feel excluded, they feel disengaged. 
So if you send a pulse survey to your team to measure engagement, then you're going to have sort of a pulse about, you know, is it sort of five out of 10 or is it eight out of 10? And then measure that because that's another metrics you can measure. And then things like uh, vendors diversity. People often forget about the vendor component or supplier component because that's your ecosystem. You don't want to only be dealing with vendors, for example, that are all the same. So you might look at, we want female-led businesses amongst our vendors, or maybe we want black-owned businesses amongst our vendors. So those are all different metrics you can actually measure and you can improve on. Thanks for sharing some of those examples. I think that that's really helpful, I'm sure, for the listeners and, and even myself. <laughs> that's uh, very helpful. There's this piece of the book that you wrote that business leaders should pay specific attention to small acts of rejection deprecative humor and acts of belittle in the workplace because they are deadly for the organization. Elaborate on that point, if you would. Yeah. And I always talk about what I call the small acts of inclusion, because inclusion is not something that will happen overnight, or you will switch on the light and all of a sudden everybody feels included. Inclusion happens in it's like trust, you know, building trust. You know, when do you go to work and say, okay, now there is trust between us. It happens a little bit. <laughs> it happens a little bit every day. So a bit like Steve used to come to the office. I always go back to him, but you go back to the office and every day he says hi, he will say your name, he will ask you how you are and really listen to your answer. And he will ask you, how is your marathon training going? How is your holiday planning planning going? He would remember these small things. He will remember it's your birthday. He will send you a text to ask you how the conference you went to uh, went. He, and those things add up, right? So if you do the small things every day, a little bit every day, that's how you build trust. That's how you build inclusion. And that's what I'm talking about in the book when I talk about creating an inclusive workplace, all these small things. And then there's this idea of, I think we've all been to workplaces where we've had maybe a bit of a toxic leader or some bullies or bullying, sort of, you know, really shame focused and everything. And those things are very contagious. They are. So if, if you have just one kind of toxic leader or someone who's a bit of a bully, th that kind of behavior um, really co is contagious and has a bit of a cascade effect. And everybody sort of starts mirroring that behavior and, and becomes bigger. So it's, you know, standing up to bullies and not tolerating, having a zero tolerance for that kind of bullish behavior. And so it's having a pulse, those types of bullying behaviors, misconduct, you know, shaming in public. You know, if you have to say something to someone uh, about something that could have been done better, maybe you said in, in a private setting, not in a group meeting with 30 people in the room, right? So it's all those little things to pay attention, you know, the meetings dynamics, right? So observing how the meeting people dynamics happening in meetings. Are male speaking more often than female because sometimes it, it happens? Or are there more interruptions against a certain group of people? With hybrid work, are remote workers being less heard in meetings than people in the office? So all those little things, if you as a business leader or as a HR leader, you pay attention to those small things, that's how you're going to create that inclusive workplace. You mentioned a few of Steve's behaviors uh, you know, as an inclusive leader. And I'm curious if there's like a few things that really stick out to you of like, inclusive leaders need to behave this way or they, they need to do these things. What would those things be? Like, so if people are listening and they're like, okay, I'm a people leader. I, I can influence my culture and I really care deeply about building an inclusive workplace and creating a sense of belonging. What 
kind of behaviors do I need to bring to the workplace with me every single day? Like, what would you say about that? Yeah, I would, you know, there is one word that comes to mind and I will say it. And I know it's not an adjective that many business leaders will, will think about when I think about being an inclusive workplace or being a leader, but it's key. And I'll talk about vulnerability because you might have heard, obviously you might know Brene Brown and all the work she does around, you know, but if you want, and actually, if you want, how do you get innovation? How do you get creative? How do you get innovation? The answer is vulnerability. People are not going to be sharing their brilliant ideas with you if they don't feel safe enough to speak up because they feel they might be made fun of or bullied or ridiculed in public. So if you don't have that basic layer of psychological safety, aka trust, people are never going to share their ideas and bring creativity and innovation. So as a leader, your role is to create that basic layer of trust, psychological safety, so people keep each other accountable and feel safe to speak. How do you do that? By being vulnerable, by leading by example. So Steve, you asked me about Steve. So he was vulnerable, he was show vulnerability, but not in a way that, you know, not in the way people might think like he would come to work and cry or, you know, not, 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 not that stare, not, not that stare, but in the way that he will say, sometimes he will say things like, I don't know. What do you think we should do? And people always think like, oh, he's a VP. He should have all the answers. No, he would sometimes say, I don't know. What do you think? Or he would say, thank you. That was great. Or what feedback can you give me so I can improve on next time? So that level of being humble and vulnerable and say, okay, well, I made a mistake. We can learn from it is basically the key to creating trust and to be an inclusive leader. What have you seen in terms of the the team dynamic, those who operate in an inclusive environment versus those that don't. Yeah. And it's, it goes back a little bit to what I was saying before. I, I have worked with teams where in all honesty, there was a bit of a toxic leader, bullish kind of atmosphere. And you could just see the tension in every meeting. So that's the kind of the flip side of, you know, that's the opposite of the inclusive leader. That's kind of toxic leader. And you would have meetings where people wouldn't feel safe to speak. It was always the same people speaking or people would be made fun of in front of everyone else. If they brought an idea that, you know, the, the leader didn't think was good. There was public shaming, public bullying, ma- making fun of someone in public and really bad uh, engagement score because that team, we would have a, a pulse survey, like an employee engagement survey. That team had the worst, worst engagement score. So that's exactly, that's the example of a team where there was no psychological safety, no trust, a lot of shaming, bullying going on and engagement was really low. And in fact, the retention, employee retention was really low. So it was directly you could see how it was directly correlated to the type of leader they had yeah it seems like with a a non-inclusive or toxic leader it would suck the creativity right out of the team like they would be afraid to speak up they would be probably just closed off and shut down i don't see how that would be good for growth or anything Exactly. A lot of fear. And then, in fact, that team had a lot of bottlenecks, things that were not working, blame, a lot of blame, you know, anything, any mistake, you know, people were blaming each other. So no accountability. Yeah, it was not good for the business. What are some ways employers, if they want to build that foundation of inclusion, what are some ways to embed it in part of the culture? Is it a set of values that you talked about goals earlier? Like, is there this perfect layer of foundational 
aspects of a, an inclusional workplace that you would say like employers, you have to check these boxes before you really get going? Yeah, I'd say being crystal clear on your mission statement as an organization, how does diversity and inclusion tie into your mission statement? Being crystal clear on that and communicating, communicating, communicating with all your employees all the time. So every employee knows what your mission statement is and how diversity and inclusion ties into it. Having leaders that are really uh, accountable and committed to it and really are vocal and talk about it often. But then there are things that organizations can do more on a daily basis, uh, a little bit less formal, like uh, leaders should be encouraged to have inclusive behavior. And by that, I mean giving you know unexpected gifts and tokens of appreciation, for example. Daily leaders should be encouraged to do daily check-ins or weekly check-ins. And by that, I mean, you know, how are you today, especially in a remote work setting or celebrating birthdays and work anniversaries. Ask what you can do to help. Asking what you can do to help. Um, shutting down bullies and standing up to be misconduct and discrimination, harassment. Getting to know your team, really getting to know them. Those are all actions that leaders should be encouraged to do in an inclusive workplace. You talked earlier how some business leaders nowadays might think inclusive practices are fluff. It's a nice to have. And they're not really fully bought in. So make your best case why diversity and inclusion practices actually drive performance and growth. Like that's what they care about is the growth of their organization, their bottom line, whatever. But how if they were truly bought into diversity and inclusion practices, how do those impact their bottom line? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is I would point uh, people to, to, to the, the research, you know, and don't take my word for it. But, you know, if you look at Boston Consulting Group research, their report revealed that over a quarter of employees at large companies do not feel that their direct manager is committed to diversity and inclusion, for example. Or McKinsey. McKinsey ran an analysis of more than 1,000 companies of, of, uh, covering 12 countries. They found that companies with better gender diversity were 21% more likely to show financial returns above their respective national industry medians. And also 27% more likely to have superior value creation. And so you can see the research, you can see Boston Consulting or McKinsey. The reason why those companies that are more diverse and more inclusive are doing better business-wise is because when there is psychological safety and inclusion and trust, people are more likely to speak up and to share ideas and to keep each other accountable, which leads to more innovation and more revenue from innovation. Another way to look at it is that when people feel included because they can speak up and they are respected and valued, they feel more engaged at work, so there is more retention. So companies lose less employees, they keep employees more, and employees are engaged and more productive. So there are lots of different ways you can look at it from an engagement to productivity correlation to the innovation, creative thinking way, and also a more diverse workforce is more likely to understand a diverse market and to speak to diverse customers, female, male, people of color, older people, younger people. So having a diverse workforce is is better to serve a more diverse market and even open new market shares. So those are just examples to illustrate how and why diversity and inclusion is good for business. I don't know if you've uh, over here in the UK, I believe, but it, or the United States, uh, especially SHRM, the Organization of Human Resource Professionals, they they came out with this article a, a while back talking about the great resignations coming and how, you know, basically as people get back to the office, 
and you know out of covid that they might just feel more comfortable jumping ship uh, and leaving their employer and i'm curious i don't know if this i don't think this is in your book but i'm i'd love to hear your perspective on how inclusion practices play a role in talent acquisition, attracting employees who really are seeking that sense of inclusion and belonging. Yeah, I, I totally see what you say. I think the way I see this sort of uh, hybrid work setting or return to work question, I see it as a, as a risk and opportunity as always. So the, the opportunity of this hybrid work, remote work, return to the office setting is that people who would normally not have access to work now have access to work. And by that, I mean mothers with childcare duties. You know, they can now work from home and also pick up the kids and drop them off in the morning. People who look after elderly or sick relatives, for example, disabled individuals who can't really commute to go to work or people who live in poorer suburban areas who can't commute either now have access to work. So that's that's the good side. Now, the risk is that we don't want to create a two-tier workforce. And by that, I mean a workforce that's isolated at home because they have kids to look after or elderly or relatives to look after and therefore less visible and therefore less promoted. And a workforce who is in the office because maybe they're younger, they have less responsibilities and is more promoted. So as long as employers are aware of the risks and opportunities of this uh, hybrid work setting, and as long as employers implement policies to support equally remote workers and in-office workers, it can be a good thing. It can be a good thing for employees and for diversity. What are some things employers get wrong about, the, about inclusive practices or, or maybe some common myths that you've heard of? Yeah, some common pitfalls I see around diversity and inclusion is forgetting about the retention uh, side of things. So when organizations focus too much on hiring diverse talent, but then they don't focus on retaining them. So, you know, they hire, let's say, more people of color, more, more uh, women, or but then those people are not set up for success because they don't have the right support and they just leave. So not focusing on the retention or, you know, when, when there is no unconscious bias training and, and especially in the hiring process there is a lot of unconscious bias in the hiring uh, at the hiring stage so forgetting about the long term you know they might say okay right now we're doing this unconscious bias training but then nothing happens for the next 12 months and then new people come in they've not been trained or people forget and then we go back into our old sort of biases and etc so you know, we, you also need to have a long-term strategy. So thinking long-term, not just short-term. And last but not least is failing to get leadership support and commitment. Because, you know, a lot of the times I see organizations hiring diversity officers and now they have a diversity department and they think they, they've done the job. But if there is no support from top leadership and no authority or influence or budget, then nothing will happen. So those are some of the common pitfalls I see organizations fall into when it comes to diversity and inclusion. For employers who are starting this journey of trying to create an inclusive workplace, what resources would you share with them? You know, obviously your book is, is a great resource, but whether it's people, other books, uh, websites, or anything like that that you would think would help them in their journey? 
Yeah, there are, there are so many great podcasts like yours, for example, you know, great, great sort of like, like your podcast, lots of HR diversity specific podcasts are a great resource to learn. Follow on, on, on social media. If you can follow some thought leaders on diversity and inclusion to get some ideas and read their blogs as well. And yes, there is a ton of great books out there. I'm thinking in particular, uh, the one is called The Culture Map. There is, I would definitely recommend uh, Brene Brown when it comes to the whole vulnerability or inclusion. Um, but yeah, start with those podcasts, start with those books and educate yourself. And I think that you, you will be in a great place to start. Perrine, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, where can people learn more about you, grab your book, or, or any parting thoughts that you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, I guess the parting thought is remember that change starts with you and that you don't need other people to do things or give you things. Change starts with you. You can educate yourself and think of yourself as a, as a diversity and inclusion champion and you will start seeing change because people will mirror, mirror you. So that's one thing. The second thing also, I wanted to say thank you for having me on your podcast. You're so welcome. <laughs> and I guess where can people find me? My website. So it's perinfarg.com said my first name last name.com and i'm on I think pretty much all social media. Yeah, I just followed you on Instagram. You, I know you're there. <laughs> so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube and, and Facebook as well. And my book is on Amazon. My guest today has been Perrine Fark. Perrine, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for having me.